0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Oblivion, Part 2. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jagger. Natalia choked for a few moments on the smoke, and shook her head to try and get the ringing in her ears to stop. Everyone in the room was on the floor, save for Bulwark. His shield had certainly saved all of them. Still, it appeared that the assembled group was dazed, people coughing and stumbling to their feet, calling for help and otherwise getting in the way. She glanced to her right. Moji was already on his feet, doing his best to help squawking generals and their aides. The rest of her party seemed to be intact. Rosalga was still on her knees, but otherwise unharmed, while Flynn's and Marowit were off on their own at the back, as always. Belladonna, where's the blue girl? Vix, what the hell just happened? That was Bella's voice, but where was Bella? Natalia began pushing her way through the people around her, looking for her friend. No one was seriously injured, but nearly all of them were severely disoriented. Forget that. You've got Kriegers moving in on Midas en masse. Get yourselves the hell out of there and anyone you can drag with you. Ramona, is there anything like a bomb shelter? Fashista? Her mind swam. Here, how... how did they follow us from Ultima Thule? She didn't see Bella, but she did see Worker's Champion. He didn't appear to have been staggered by the explosion like the rest of them. He strode forward, walking with purpose to the front of the congregation. She reached out to him and was about to speak, but he ignored her completely, moving past her and stepping over the other coalition representatives. He was flanked by two of his supernauts, Two more stood, still at attention, at the entrance to the room. "'He is taking charge. Typical of him, but at least someone is. We need to rally a defense, evacuate the city, possibly. Uncle Boryetz will be able to whip these simpering fools into something approaching usefulness.' "'Everyone, please!' It was Raymond, his once-pristine white uniform was covered in dust and burns, and he had a slight cut on his eyebrow. He and Mabel had been far closer to the blast than the rest of them. Please, try to remain calm. We have the situation perfectly under control. His words were choked off as Worker's champion wrapped a single hand around the medicine's throat, then lifted him into the air. Raymond flailed for a few moments, clawing at the massive fingers clamped around his windpipe. Mabel, and the rest of the people in the room, stared on in shock. Yet. With a twist of his thumb against the side of Raymond's jaw, workers' champion snapped the man's neck, who went limp in the Russian's grasp. With a jerk of his arm, Worker's Champion used the dead man's body as a bludgeon. Mabel was knocked to the floor hard. Her right temple hit the marble floor with a wet crack that told Nat she was probably dead, her body skidding across the smooth surface for several meters. Natalia's mind spasmed. She couldn't believe what she had seen. Boreatz pointed at the boxes. The projections of Tesla and Marconi had vanished, and one of the supernauts obediently picked them up. He waved vaguely at the rest of the room. Retrieve the target, then kill them all, he said, and headed for the door, with the burdened supernaut following closely behind him. Bulwark had, by far, the loudest unamplified voice of anyone in the room. Sound the alarm. We've been compromised, he thundered. "'Noncombatants to me! The rest of you, form up and take them down!' The room exploded into a flurry of activity. The supernauts at the back of the room began to spray fire as soon as Worker's Champion was past them. Several medicines were instantly incinerated, along with a number of the Coalition members. Gunshots rang out, deafening in the enclosed space.' More supernaut troopers marched into the room, spreading out and spraying fire as they moved. One of the supernauts separated from the rest, batting aside anyone that got in its way. At one point it hosed down an Indian general with bullets from one of its mounted machine guns. Victrix was on the calm with information. The supernauts are set up with fire and projectile weaponry. Boreats has enhanced strength and is more or less invulnerable— Yank, Ramona, Moji, if you can dodge the fire, you can handle the bullets. Nat, do what you do. Made visible by the smoke, a force field sprang up to Nat's left. Now she could see Bella, on her knees, ministering to someone. Mercury was helping her. Nat watched as he performed insane aerial acrobatics, running and flipping through the air to dodge fire and machine-gun rounds as he picked up the wounded and brought them back to be tended to by Belladonna. To add to the chaos, a deafening alarm sounded, punctuating the cacophony every few seconds. That finally shocked her back to reality. Rasalka had unholstered her sidearm, firing at the supernauts and probably looking for a water source to exploit. Flynns and Marowit, however, were nowhere to be seen. They weren't frontline fighters, after all. Natalia wouldn't count them as assets. Moji, where are you? It took her a moment to spot him. He was no longer helping the wounded, but sprinting for the same exit the Boriats had taken. For the briefest moment, she thought that he might be in league with the traitor. That notion vanished almost immediately as he bowled over one of the supernauts that attempted to block his path. The supernaut's armored chestplate was caved in roughly in the shape of a splayed-out hand. And just like that, he was gone. Nazrat! She needed him, even if these supernauts were blowhard fools like their namesake— They would still be difficult opponents, with their armor and weapons. Natalia felt someone bump into her right shoulder. She whirled, her fist sheathed with glowing energy. To find Yankee pride, his pose an almost perfect mimic of her own, including his energy gauntlet being fully charged. Yank recovered first. Nat, go after them. I'll lay down cover and fire. Suiting his actions to words quite literally, he laid his gauntleted arm over her shoulder and fired at someone behind her. She felt the slight recoil jolt her body, ducked under his arm, and sprinted for the exit, trusting him to do what he said he would. The supernauts closed ranks in front of her. She spotted two that were specifically focusing on her, while the others seemed concerned with the rest of the room her fist still charged, she loosed the ball of energy at the feet of the one on the left. The armored man was taken off his feet as the marble beneath him shattered in a shower of sparks. As he fell, he caught the arm of the other supernaut soldier, causing the machine-gun burst meant for Natalia to go wide. Kicking off on a plume of her energy, she charged both of her fists, screaming as she flew through the air. The supernot faltered, trying to bring one of his arms up at the last second as Natalia brought both of her fists crashing down. The pent-up energy released, crushing his arm and crumpling the helmet with a satisfying metallic crunch, until it was almost level with the shoulder pauldrons. Not as sturdy as fortified Krieger trooper armor. Good. Natalia spun around, leveling an energy blast at the downed supernaut just as he was about to release a torrent of flame. The nozzle on the man's emitter was destroyed, and the weapon backfired. The entire suit became consumed with liquid fire, seeping in through the sections that Natalia had damaged. She heard the man scream through the grill on his helmet, but didn't have time to worry about the pathetic dog. The rapid fire of the supernauts' machine guns came in retaliation for their screaming comrade. A trio of shots whistled by Natalia's ear before Ramona threw herself into the path of the rest of them. The other woman's face contorted in pain, but she shoved Natalia down the hall. Keep running! Natalia spat a glob of what looked like metal onto the floor. Most of her exposed skin had taken on a dull gray sheen, and she grunted as another volley of shots intended for Nat hit her squarely between the shoulder plates. Pride in me. We've got you covered. D'Ave, right? She snarled and charged ahead. Two more of the supernauts converged on her at once. She managed to knock the first aside with a sistema move and concentrated on destroying the face of the second, whirling to deal with the first but her intended target had already found himself in the crosshairs of someone else. Bella was staring at him with terrible intensity, and he was shaking. Что? Natalia decided to take full advantage of his situation and moved in. Unfortunately, just at the moment that he went into a full-out, spasming seizure. An actual attack she could have predicted encountered... This unpredictable flailing caught her off guard, and his right arm, with all the unrestricted power of his servo-motors behind it, caught her across the stomach, drove all the air out of her, and sent her flying across the room. She felt her spine impact with the wall, and stars swam into her vision. Everything looked surreal. The flames, the gunfire, the people running... Blasts from Pride's power gauntlet left rainbow streaks in her vision. She saw Bulwark holding a huge shield firm against bullets and keeping supernauts beyond an effective distance for their flamethrowers, and Mercury crawling past her on hands and knees after another victim. Finally, she focused on Art of War. Four of the supernauts had him cornered, separated from the rest of the generals. They weren't firing at him, however— just advancing, arms spread wide. It occurred to her that they didn't want to kill him, though for the life of her she couldn't fathom why at that moment. They are traitors. They are supposed to try to kill us. Why hold back? The supernaught surged forward in concert. Arthur was ready for them, however. He rolled forward from the half-crouch that he had been positioned in, scooping up a shard of marble as he did so. He jammed it hard into the knee joint of the middle supernaut soldier, sawing it back and forth until it found purchase and blood. The soldier screamed in agony. Arthur swung his shoulder underneath the soldier's knee and then lifted with all of his might— The armored man fell backwards, his mounted machine guns and flame emitters firing at the ceiling of the chamber. Arthur swept his hand across the floor, never staying still. Like magic, another shard of marble was in his hand. This time he shoved the jagged piece of rock through the armpit of the next supernaut. The man cried out, and his arm went limp. Arthur positioned himself behind the disabled soldier, grabbing the dangling left arm in one hand. With the other hand still holding the makeshift knife, he twisted. The soldier's weapons began discharging. Flame and round after round of machine gun fire issued forth, sweeping over the other two supernauts. One of the supernauts went down quickly. The other only took grazing wounds and waited until the soldier that Arthur had control of wrenched his arm away, swiping the intact one in a brutal arc at Arthur's head. The general ducked underneath it, jamming the shard into a gap in the armor near the soldier's kidney. The injured supernaut fell backwards, giving Arthur enough time to scuttle over the soldier's chest and jam the piece of marble into the man's unprotected throat, snapping it off in a sputter of blood. The final supernaut took advantage of having Arthur's back turned to him. He ran forward, armored feet clanking against the marble, as he lifted up the metahuman in a bear hug from behind. They want to kidnap him. He's one of their targets. They want his abilities. Natalia willed her limbs to move, but they were sluggish and refused to obey her commands. She tried to summon energy to her fists, but produced only a weak flash of glowing sparks that dissipated as soon as they manifested. She watched helplessly as the scene played out before her. Arthur wriggled and writhed, trying to slip from the rock-solid hold of the supernaut. The soldier had begun marching towards the exit. The other supernauts were providing covering fire for it. With Natalia out of action, there was no one between the armored soldier holding Arthur and the exit. For the briefest moment, their eyes met. It wasn't a long moment, but it was clear he saw her and could see she was clear of the fight. She felt paralyzed by his gaze. Arthur was somehow able to slip an arm free from the bear hug the supernot soldier had him in. With a final shout, he thrust a fist backwards, still holding the shard of marble he had used so effectively earlier. The shard penetrated one of the feeder lines for the flamethrowers. The pressurized fuel ejected from the breach in an aerosolized plume, and then caught on the pilot flame at the end of the weapon emitters. The explosion enveloped the pair and two more supernauts, leaving a blinding afterimage in front of Natalia's eyes. Blinking hard, it took her several moments before she could see anything coherently again. Where Arthur and the supernaut had been standing was only charred wreckage. The two other supernauts caught in the blast were most certainly dead, both lay unmoving and smoldering near the exit. She felt a hand under her arm, hauling her to her feet. Damn it, Nat, they're getting away! Yank shoved her out the door, then turned to face the developing carnage in the room, covering her escape. She almost fell onto her face, half falling and half running. Find him and kill him! She didn't have time for any other thoughts. She had to stop Worker's Champion. He had the boxes that contained the consciousnesses of Tesla and Marconi. The traitors' masters could not be allowed to take possession of them. Her veins felt like they were pumping acid, and her breath burned in her lungs as she ran, her arms and legs driving her forward like pistons. Everything came into focus for her. She knew what she needed to do then. Kill. Boriets. Get the boxes back. She didn't allow herself to think too hard on it. That invited questions, even madness, at how her mentor, her adoptive uncle, could betray her and every ideal they had ever held. She just knew that she had to kill him. That was the only way to make sense of any of this. The rest was a blur. She saw thick black smoke, in stark contrast to the white surroundings. Explosions in the distance, and the all-too-familiar shape of Ulian death spheres. There was lightning as well, some product of the medicine defensive measures. It was having an effect, but she couldn't gauge how much. That didn't concern her at the moment. Only vengeance and retribution... It was a craving that consumed her until there was nothing else in her mind. Natalia turned a corner, and it felt as if the world lurched to the side, hard. She almost fell over, stopped in the hallway with her arms thrown out to catch herself. She shook her head, and then recoiled in horror. The ground in front of her was strewn with corpses, and she recognized all of their faces. Georgie, Pavel, Molotov, Thea and Gamayun, Yadwiga, all of them lay dead, burned, broken. Even Murdoch and Sarah were there, and Chug, Zmey and Perun were there as well. Petrograd, his armor shattered and burning. Protesters from the day of the invasion, all of them were looking at her, their eyes accusing her. Your fault, failure. Useless. Where were you when we needed you? She fell to her knees, a wordless cry on her lips. She felt the air catch in her lungs. She couldn't breathe. Didn't want to. Just wanted to die. The walls felt like they were closing in, and her vision grew dark. The accusations grew louder in her mind, and she couldn't look away from the eyes of the dead. She wanted to join them. She deserved to join them. Nothing else would wash the stain of her failures away. They were right. Where had she been when they needed her? What did the Amerikansky call it? Grandstanding. Showing off! A single gunshot sounded, and her world went stark white for a moment. She felt her body lurch forward, her arms barely able to catch her before she hit the ground. Natalia vomited. When her stomach was empty, she looked up. The hallway was... empty. No bodies, just white floor and walls. The voices were gone. The only thing she heard were explosions and the wail of alarms. She turned and saw Marowit, slumped to the floor and clutching a bullet wound in her throat, blood seeping through her fingers. Her eyes bulged as her stare met Natalia's gaze. She raised her hand, reaching for Natalia. She's using her powers on me. Natalia fumbled for her pistol, still disoriented. It took what seemed like years for her to remove it from her holster. "'Disengage the safety and raise it. "'She was close enough that she didn't use the sights. "'In her state, she wouldn't have been able to anyways. "'She fired, again and again, "'until the magazine was completely empty. "'Her point shooting was accurate enough. "'Marowit was very dead now. "'Most of the rounds had hit her in the head and throat, "'where the nanoweave armor didn't offer any protection.' There was movement somewhere behind the dead metahuman. Natalia whirled, bringing her empty pistol to bear. Flynn's walked forward slowly. A Makarov, identical to Natalia's, was in his hand. He dropped it to the ground when he was over Marowitz's body, his face still emotionless. No more dreams. No more control he said in monotone Russian. Then he turned to look at Natalia, those dead eyes studying her for a moment before closing in concentration. She recognized what was happening. He was going to kill her, just like Marowit had tried. The scene during the battle in Ultima Thule played through her mind. Kriegers with blood streaming from their eyes and ears, dead before they could hit the ground. She pulled the trigger for her pistol. It clicked loudly on an empty chamber. She knew that she was going to die. There was no time for her to reload or to summon enough energy to her fists to blast at Flynn's with. Everything seemed to slow and take on unnaturally sharp detail. Was this part of his power or merely her own reaction to imminent death? A water fountain on the far side of the hallway from Flint's exploded, breaking his concentration and causing him to open his eyes. The water, which had started spraying towards the ceiling, coalesced, gathering in on itself. In the space of a breath, the water launched itself towards Flint's. It slammed into his chest, propelling the thin and tall Russian off of his feet and against the wall, pinning his back to it. The water flowed over his mouth and nose, a fire hose blast still being continuously slammed into his chest. Natalia saw emotion in his eyes for the first time. Fear and hatred. Those eyes locked onto her again. Not this time, you bastard! With a shout, she gathered energy to her free hand and flung it with all of her might and will toward Flint's. It hit his body squarely, and the entire hallway rumbled as the energy discharged. The water abruptly stopped. She could see scorch marks against the dripping wall, and an unmistakable smear of red. Further down the hallway was Flynn's body, crumpled. There's only one person here that can manipulate water. I won't be caught unaware again. Natalia collected energy to both of her fists first holstering her makarov. Rusalka, come out! They were going to kill you, Commissar. Rusalka walked out from behind an alcove, her hands at her sides and her head hanging, her entire posture one of defeat and grief. I couldn't let them. I was supposed to watch, supposed to keep an eye on you, When I failed, they were sent to keep me in line. Natalia shook her head, uncomprehending. The other Russian woman was openly weeping now. Workers' champion. Warriors, he said it was to be for the greater good, that you were too dangerous to to your own devices in Atlanta, that he trusted me. We had fought together for so long. She looked up, her eyes red and brimming with tears. How could I have known what he would do? Natalia allowed the energy surrounding her fists to dissipate into the air. She opened her mouth to speak, even going so far as to reach for Rosalka. but held back. I do not have time for this. I need to keep moving, to help Moji. She did her best to keep her voice even, speaking in Russian as Rusalka had. Evacuate civilians. We will deal with you back in Atlanta. If you wish to redeem yourself and your shame, you will not be giving me reasons to regret allowing you to live. Without waiting for a response... "'Natalia turned and dashed down the hallway "'in the direction that Workers' Champion and Molotov had been going. "'All this time, he had been a traitor "'and had left more traitors in my midst. "'How many people have died because of their treason? "'How many more will die now?' "'Natalia clenched her teeth hard enough "'that she began to taste blood as she ran.' She felt as if her rage would consume her and the world. Let it destroy Borietz first, before he can do more harm. It did not take her as long as she thought it would before she had caught up to her targets. She stumbled over a shallow step and emerged into an open space. A landing of sorts, a cantilevered launch pad for the Metis craft. Natalia had arrived on one such port, but it had been far different from this. This one was littered with bodies. Over a dozen supernauts, all dead, covered nearly every inch of space on the launch pad and the ramp leading up to it. Most of them had been messily torn apart. Arms, legs, heads all lain strewn about. She noticed one mostly intact supernut soldier with a bayonet handle sticking out of an eye-slit. The body was still quivering on the ground. Natalia, hardened by her time as a detective and then a soldier in the war against the Kriegers, still felt her gorge rise at the scene of carnage in front of her. The structure itself had taken tremendous damage. It looked as if two titans had done battle here, the environment taking the punishment of their wrath. There is so much blood. It all stood in stark contrast to the white marble of the medicine surroundings. Even against the red and black armor of the supernauts, the blood was thick and shiny, catching the light of the setting sun. At the very end of the landing stood Worker's Champion. Kneeling before him was Molotok. Natalia had known him since they were children. The most injured she had ever seen him was when he had had a bloodied nose after having an entire factory collapsed on him by demolition explosives. Now, his face was pulped. His uniform was ripped in dozens of places, exposing the bruised and bleeding skin beneath. Her Bolshoi brat, arms limp at his sides, "'allowed his head to loll to the side, his gaze falling upon her. "'Both eyes were blackened and hideously swollen, "'barely visible through the slits of his eyelids. "'Those pale blue dots bored into her, "'and she thought that she saw the barest hint of a smile "'creep onto his ruined lips, the red blood marring his white teeth. Boryetz picked Molotov up by the neck. He regarded his fellow Russian curiously, cocking his head to the side, his face still a stony mask. Then he punched, aimed for the center of Moji's chest. The first blow was a deep thud. The second was a splintering crack. The third and final punch was a much more wet-sounding rip. This time, when worker's champion pulled back his fist, it was covered in gore. Unceremoniously, he dropped Moji at his feet. The younger Meta landed on his knees and stayed slumped there for a moment before falling forward in a grotesque, boneless sort of way. When Moji's head hit the ground, His eyes were fixed upon Natalia again, sightless. For a moment, Natalia couldn't move. She was shaking so terribly that she was vibrating in place, torn simultaneously by grief so terrible she wanted to scream it to the universe, rage so all-encompassing that she was literally seeing everything through a red haze, and guilt so deep she could not see the bottom of it. Eyes. His eyes. A sound began, down in her chest. It started as a sob, but grew and grew until it burst out of her chest in a wordless howl, the cry of someone utterly betrayed, whose world has been destroyed before her eyes by the one she trusted most, leaving nothing but ashes. Now... There was nothing. Nothing. Nothing but revenge. Natalia launched herself at worker's champion. Her vision had gone red and dark around the edges. All she saw was a man she had once worshipped, now her most hated enemy, standing over the body of one that she had loved dearly as a brother. She met him, her body fully extended in flight, her fists charged with all of the energy she could muster. She dove straight for his center, wishing to drive through his cancerous and traitorous heart, to do to him what he had done to her Bolshoi brat. The explosion almost blinded her, sending her flipping through the air with a concussion at the last second. Boryitz was staggered, for a moment, almost unbelieving it seemed, that she would dare approach him, much less attack. She refused to recoil, however. Natalia renewed her attack, charging her fists and pummeling every joint, every pressure point of her opponent with blows that would have leveled houses. Boryet stood statue still, taking all of the hits impassively. With inhuman calm, he reached out, grabbing Natalia by the shoulder. She continued to pound on him, charging her fists with enough energy to destroy entire buildings. She discharged all of this energy, fruitlessly, against workers' champion's shoulders, chest, neck, and head, until she was utterly spent. Finally, she just beat her fists against him, unpowered, weeping, and shouting hoarsely in Russian. Why? Why, uncle, why would you betray us, everyone, and everything you loved? Why, you bastard? Boreat's face remained utterly devoid of emotion. He set her down, gently, and then shoved her with two fingers. It was enough to send her flying back, tumbling over the bodies of the dead supernauts. He picked up the boxes... "'covered in the blood of one of the dead supernot soldiers. "'You wouldn't understand, ignorant child.' "'Natalia thought she almost heard a tinge of sadness in his words. Marshaling all of her remaining strength, "'she raised her head off of the platform. "'She spat at him, baring her teeth. "'It was all she could do.' She was too exhausted to even raise a fist to shake at him. Traitor! Betrayer! Murdering fucking bastard! I will kill you and you will die screaming. Know this. Have no rest because you will die alone in pain. Begging for mercy, you fucking coward! Finally, Boriotz showed some emotion. His countenance darkened, his lips turning down into a grim frown. Before he could speak, however, a Thulean death sphere rose behind him, huge against the backdrop of the city. A portal opened seamlessly on its side, bathing him in baleful orange light. Boreats opened his mouth to speak, but was stopped short. Hinaimitu! Gerard gets harsh shouting in German sounded from inside of the death sphere. He looked over his shoulder, then back to Natalia. With a final sneer, he turned on his heel and stalked into the open portal, shrouded in that horrible orange light. The entrance into the death sphere closed behind him. With a bone-rattling hum, the death sphere rose into the sky, streaking away from the doomed city. Natalia did her best to summon energy to her fists, to strike out at her traitorous uncle. All she could do was raise her fists uselessly, a plaintive cry escaping her lips before she fell unconscious in a pool of the blood of her enemies. Where's Nat? Ramona shouted via Overwatch. Yankee Pride answered. She went after Worker's Champion. He took Tesla and Marconi. We need... No, he didn't, Mercury interrupted. Those were just projection cubes. Well, if you know where they are, get them, Bella interrupted. Vic says the city is going down. We need to evac everyone five minutes ago. I've got your transport, Vicky appended. Get the ghosts. That was all Rick needed. Mercury flew down the hallway, a hand tight around Ramona's forearm. She kept chirping directions based on the information that appeared in the heads of display, directing him down one corridor and another. The structure shook, each explosion threatening to cave in on a possible escape route. Ramona yelped as one of the walls buckled. She stumbled forward as Merc pulled her through one of the sheer gel curtains and into a small closet-sized space. Mr. Tesla, Mr. Marconi, Mercury called into the darkness. We need to hurry, please. Your urgency is noted, young man. Tesla's voice resonated from the floor, the walls crackling with the familiar blue wire frames. Enrico and I share your concerns. Miss Ferrari, I trust that you have coordinated transportation. Already done. Your ticket out is warming up the saucer. Victrix barked in her ears. But you need to. A violent explosion tore a hole in the ceiling of the closet and drowned out the rest of Overwatch's instructions. The tang of ozone mixed with a sulfuric odor seeped into the space. Ramona started to gag. Murk wrapped an arm around her waist and pulled her back through the blue-gel curtain. The smooth composite floor had buckled, and the blue currents of consciousness raced over the broken edges frantically. Vic? Ramona coughed and spat out a thin aluminum-tasting wad of gunk. The systems are going down. The medicine infrastructure keeps breaking off in pieces. We're losing whole sections of the city every second. More information flashed in the corner of Ramona's right eye. Parts of the medicine map dimmed and faded from blue to yellow to black in a flickering pattern of destruction. "'You will have to find a containment, you and Signorina,' Marconi's usually calm voice had risen to a frantic pitch. "'Without some means of transport, you won't be able to bring us with you.' "'Enrico is correct,' Tesla's voice chimed in, more angry than frantic. There should be a way to create something suitable from the composite tiles that remain. There's no time, Nicola, Marconi wailed. We never planned for something of this magnitude, especially in such a short amount of time. In all of our years here, we never established any kind of protocol for this kind of evacuation. Ramona, tell them to calm down. You have two minutes, which is ninety seconds more than we can afford. Victrix rasped, hoarse from shouting orders over the cacophony of screams and explosions. We need another option, and more than that, we don't have the time to find a way to carry the gents in any containers. I'm going to transmit you some sigils. I need you to trace them exactly. Right hand blue, left hand yellow, both hands green. A one means index finger, a two means index and middle finger. Zero means your thumb. She paused, and an intricate design not unlike a Kandinsky painting appeared in Ramona's left eye. The only secure way to get the guys out is inside you two. Soul transfer like we did to unlock the charter. Then Merc can pick you up and run with you while you guide him. The blue currents along the walls crackled and flared as if in protest. Mercury didn't appear much happier with the solution. Gents, we have no choice. The Thulians are looking for people carrying medicine objects. They have Workers' Champion, and I am pretty sure they know what Boreat stole is bogus. They are shooting to kill anyone holding anything and recovering what they held from the body. We can't protect you the way you are, Ramona added. We can't lose you. We don't want to lose you. This is the best that we've got, and, well, if you've got to ride somebody out of this place, wouldn't you rather it be the two of us? At least you, uh, know what you're getting into. The walls crackled Azure again. Murk laughed nervously. I've already done this with you once— That means all I am doing is a remote repeat of an established protocol. That makes it much easier. I'm setting things up so I take all the risk. If it doesn't work, it backfires on me, and you stay where you are. And you find some other containment. I'll try to get you, Ramona, and Merc into what you guys have that passes for a fallout shelter, and we hope there is a possibility of rescue.' Vicky didn't sound all that confident about the possibility of rescue. But knowing Vicky as she did, Ramona had the distinct impression that what she was about to try was nothing like as easy as she was trying to make it out to be. Nat? Nat, wake up, Nat! Nat, wake up! Wake up, Nat! Come on, you need to wake up! Now! Nat! There was nothing that Natalia wanted to do more than sleep at that moment. It seemed... easier. She deserved some rest, yet, Why did everyone keep bothering her, trying to wake her up? Hadn't she done enough? Nat! Come on, Nat, I can see your brainwave stirring. Which is a terrible analogy. Wake up before I make a worse one. Go away, daughter of Rasputin. I'm sleeping. She wanted to keep her eyes closed. She wouldn't have to see her dear Moji dead to see all of the blood and death anymore. She could just sleep. Finally rest. She had failed everyone else already. Moji, her comrades, herself. Why shouldn't she sleep? Except what was to come. Are you going to lie there until someone comes along and kills you? You think that's going to make up for Moji's murder, you dumb bitch? Okay, go ahead, die. And the rest of CCCP is going to die shortly after that. That woke Natalia from her stupor. She lifted her head from the pavement, tasting acid and blood in her mouth. She started cursing, lifting herself bodily off of the ground. When I find you, witch girl, you'll never bink. Be... Victrix interrupted her. Good. You're alive and ready to fight. God damn it, Nat, we need you now. Get your commie ass moving. Plot me a course. We'll be dealing with how I beat you to death for insults later. Everyone else is heading for Trina's saucer. I think it's here. The city's going down, Nat. The best we can do is get people out of it. She started running, following the blinking directions on her HUD. Going down? What of the defenses? These technocratic bastards were able to decimate Kriegers? Why are they being steamrolled? Because they caught Midas with the shields down and the defenses unmanned. Because the idiot medicines figured we'd won, and no one paid any attention when I pointed out that there was some concerted evac. And to have an evacuation, you have to have a place to evacuate, too. And because these don't seem to be the same Kriegers. Pizdets! she swore. She ran. Everywhere she went, she saw more death and destruction. Medicines were fleeing, with many bodies littering the walkways and corridors. Whenever she reached an open area, with a view to the skyline of the city, she saw Thulean ships creeping ever forward towards the city center. From beneath each of them was an unbreaking stream of thermite, bathing the city below in white-hot flames. Where those flames didn't touch, actinic blazes from energy cannons streamed outwards. The Kriegers didn't wish to take this city. They wanted to utterly destroy it, to raise and incinerate it, and have it forgotten forever. There would be no prisoners, no surrender. This was genocide. Natalia ran into the remainder of the Atlanta contingent, literally, wholly by accident, She rounded a corner, and suddenly she was face first with Rusalka and missed crashing into her by dint only of sheer luck. Everyone stopped for a moment, their powers keying up until they realized that they were on the same side. We need to evacuate. The city is falling. Molotok is dead. Worker's champion, the traitorous dog, killed him. The commissar did her best to choke back her emotions as she spoke her dead friend's name. Rasulka kept her eyes cast to the ground. Jesus! Nat! Bella shoved through the group of medicines at the front of the group and hugged her impulsively, ignoring the blood covering the commissar. Except that a moment later, as a flood of strength and reassurance poured into her, and a whispered voice in the back of her mind said, Hold it together, Nat. You don't get to have a breakdown until we're out of here. She realized it was anything but impulsive. Bella was a projective and receptive empath at a distance, but only a touch telepath. Yes, I felt it all. Hang in there. Bella pulled back from her, staring into Natalia's eyes for a moment. The commissar took in a deep breath, then let it out, nodding. There will be time to grieve later. Now I am needed. If revenge is to be mine, I will need to live to exact it. With Bella were bulwark, Yankee pride, and a scattering of military leaders as well as the medicines. Everyone looked as if they had seen some fighting. Many were bloodied, even the medicines with their white uniforms covered in dirt, blood, and burns. Trina's ahead of you, at a saucer and a side hangar. It's a medium-sized one. There should be room for all of you and anyone else you gather up. If we can get them all out of here, we should have about a dozen saucers of evacuees. Come on, people, move it! You heard, witch girl. We move. Now! The group didn't need any more encouragement than that. Everyone began to run, or limp, in the direction of the saucer. Natalia dropped back long enough to pick up one of the Chinese military leaders bodily. His leg was a bloodied mess, and he was barely up to her chest in height, no burden at all to her to carry. He was in too much pain to protest. She began to run, following as closely behind Bulwark as she could, to take advantage of the shield for herself and her passenger. The walls remained dark, as if two great minds sat in quiet conference. They finally flared to life and separated, one ribbon next to Mercury, and one next to Ramona. That looks like a yes to me, Vic, Ramona said. She let out a long breath and focused on the design on the HUD, flexing her fingers. Follow the cursor. You can do this. Right, I can do this. And if I can't, then I go down trying. There was no sign of the protections that Vicky had called wards and shields, things she had insisted were absolutely necessary the last time. Ramona had the feeling this was Vicky's equivalent of walking a high wire without a net, and she tried to keep every bit of her attention on the things Vicky was showing her how to trace in the air. As before, Sometimes what she traced looked like a diagram, sometimes like an equation. "'You have to want this. You have to want this desperately, people,' Vicky said, her voice tense with urgency. "'Gents, I am not going to pull any punches here. I'm pretty certain that if we can't get you out inside of Ramona and Rick, we are not going to get you out at all. I'm not sure the nearest fallout shelter is going to survive.' The Thulians have wrecked the city between you and Trina, but Raina and Lyra have a family vehicle in a pretty secure place, and they told me, hell or high water, they are going to wait for you. The walls quivered, then went completely dark as the blue currents lifted from the wall and encircled them both. Rick had his eyes squeezed tightly shut. Ramona hoped he was concentrating on wanting his passenger very hard indeed. As for herself, well, she did her best to get her terror to fuel the desire to get her familiar tenant back in the little efficiency apartment he'd once had in her head. She felt the hair on the back of her neck rising involuntarily, and something like a charge building in the air just before a lightning strike. Just like last time, the tension began to ratchet up, and along with it, the sound of not-so-distant thunder. The Thulians were getting nearer. Just when she was ready to scream, the mage finally barked the word, Fiat! And... Thank God, said Tesla in her head, as Rick's eyes snapped open and his mouth formed a little O. Time to go! Rick, pick her up! Run! She found herself scooped up in Mercury's arms, as she had been that long-ago day when he ran her out to the mountain. She ducked her head and made herself as small as possible, wishing it were also possible to shed some of the pounds and pounds of metal she had absorbed along the way. But he didn't seem to notice the extra weight. But, Miss Ferrari, Tesla wailed, as they got another glimpse of the hideous destruction the Thulians were wreaking on Metis. When we get free... Where are we to go? Vix Tesla wants to know what you intend to... Worry about what we download them into when you get the hell out of there intact, Vicky interrupted. Now, run! Rick ran like a man possessed. They had no time left. The Thulians had reached the part of the city they were in the death spheres above only pausing their thermite jets long enough for the armored troopers on the ground to sweep through any survivors. When Ramona dared to open her eyes, lifting her head from Rick's chest, she was confronted with snapshots of carnage. Several troopers lining medicine men and women up against a wall to execute them. Explosions as entire buildings were ripped asunder by actinic energy beams. In a quick flash, she watched as a robo-eagle crashed through the glass dome ceiling of a building and emerged with the bleeding forms of two people in its talons, screeching as it lifted back into the sky. It was almost too much to bear. Memories of the invasion sprang fresh into her mind, a rising panic filling her. She tucked her head against Rick's chest again. He was like a machine, his legs pumping up and down, propelling them through the devastation and towards safety. Following her instructions, with fire raging around them and hell falling from the skies, Rick put on more speed and ran. He dodged falling debris, blurred past armored troopers, and just when Ramona was certain there was nowhere else to go, dashed into a courtyard. And there it was a little saucer, about the size of two minivans put together, hovering just off the ground with the ramp down. Rick didn't hesitate for a second. He dashed inside. Raina didn't pause either. The saucer shot skyward with the ramp still down, and only Rick immediately leaping sideways into the body of the saucer kept them from tumbling down the same ramp they'd come up. Stealthing now, Raina cried, As the ramp finally snapped shut, the entire saucer shuddered hard, the lights dimmed, and then came up again. We're hit! Ramona's heart was in her mouth. We're going to die! Stealth on! exclaimed Lyra. The lights dimmed again, and the saucer made a whining sound, but there were no other ominous signs of impending doom. Which could only mean... They were safe. Unbelievably, they were safe. And going home. Bella thought she had never seen anything as welcome as that medicine saucer, hovering with the gangway an inch off the ground. There were other saucers in the air now. Not just evacuees, but some medicines evidently possessed spines and brains, These were all smaller saucers, but they seemed to be equipped with TDRs, and their pilots, or gunners, were using them to good effect. The giant saucer that had brought them all here was toast, however. With a sense of sick horror she saw it land about five hundred yards away, sticking up out of the ground at a slant, its silver all blackened and tarnished and marred with blast holes. It looked as if it had gotten about a hundred yards up, and had been shot down. It was just pure luck it had crashed into an open space and not into buildings or what passed for a hangar. But she knew she had to put her own feelings on hold for now. As she had told Saviour, no one had the luxury of emotion until after they were safe. She dropped back to make sure everyone made it in. It seemed impossible that she and Bulwark... "'who now cradled the German delegate in his powerful arms, "'had made it through that gauntlet of horror unscathed. "'It was a good thing she did. "'She spotted the Canadian general faltering and limping "'about half a block back from the tail of their group. "'She sprinted back to him, draped his arm over her neck, "'and hauled him along in time to be right on the heels "'of the last one up the gangway. "'Trina must have had some sort of camera watching.' The gangway started to rise as soon as Bella got both feet on it, and the saucer started rising too. Trina wasn't being gentle either. The momentum from the gangway practically propelled her into the crowd, and the hatch snapped shut. Once inside, however, there was no sign that they were moving until she glanced up at the several view screens visible from where she stood, letting the Canadian gently down onto the floor. Metis looked like a scene out of a dystopian nightmare. A glimpse into hell, maybe. There were hundreds upon hundreds of death spheres. The entire outer two rings of the city had been completely destroyed. Fires still burned nearly everywhere, but no buildings were standing in those sections of the city. Any time a spot of resistance rose up, in the form of a defensive battery of Tesla death rays or any other sort of fire, It was immediately beset and destroyed by a swarm of Death Spheres. They didn't seem to care how many casualties they were taking. Formations of the deadly orbs whizzed through the air, raining burning thermite and energy blasts into the city below. Far in the distance, she saw the massive mechanical dragon that had escaped Ultima Thule. It was stomping through the city, ahead of a line of Death Spheres, completely impervious to any TDR fire that was directed at it. Wherever it went, death and destruction followed. With a sick feeling of familiarity, it reminded her of a Japanese monster movie brought to life. Instead of a man in a rubber suit, this monstrosity was real, ending lives with every movement and blast of fire or energy from its head. Bella knelt beside the Canadian and laid her hand on his forehead, healing him up without taking her attention from the screens. All over what was left of the city, saucers were arcing up and vanishing. For a moment she wondered frantically if these Thulians had some new form of weapon that utterly obliterated their targets. But then, as she watched three death spheres converge on a spot where a saucer had been and mill around frantically she realized that it was only the medicine stealth power, which evidently the Thulians couldn't crack. The lights in their saucer dimmed as Trina kicked their vehicle into stealth mode, and then the view tilted alarmingly, although the deck stayed seemingly level. "'We're going for altitude,' the girl called out, and not only did the view tilt, but the carnage receded into the distance at an incredible rate.' Overwatch. Open VIX. Bella muttered quietly. VIX go. Ramona and Merc. Away. With cargo. Please do not ask me how I did that. I'd rather not think about how many chances I took. Have you updated home base? Not that HQ could have done anything, but they needed to be told. Was awaiting permission. Doing so now. Activate spin, Doctor? Might as well, Bella sighed. At least this was one disaster Echo couldn't be blamed for. But how CCCP was going to take the loss of Molotok and the betrayal of Workers' Champion? She glanced over at Red Savior, who was slouched despondently in one of the saucer seating areas. I'm going to have a lot of work to do. You couldn't tell it from in here, but the saucer put on a huge boost of speed and accelerated up into the stratosphere. The carnage below vanished into a white and black blot with flashes in it and then disappeared under a layer of cloud as they moved even higher. Under other circumstances, she'd have watched the viewscreens and their panorama of near space and the curve of the earth hungrily as she had on the trip in. It really was beautiful. Perfect, even. Up here, you were so far away from all of the death, the misery, the loss. But all around her she felt defeat, despair, grief, and loss. She dropped her gaze to the other folks sharing the saucer. And aside from Gardner, who she couldn't read anyway, There was not one person here who was not sagging in hopelessness. Of the forty or so delegates and aides that had arrived in Metis, there were only eighteen left. Unless somehow, someone had escaped in other saucers. Except for Trina, there was not a single person in this vehicle that was unscathed. Scorches, cuts and bruises at the least, broken bones and serious wounds at the worst but it wasn't the physical injuries that bothered her. It was the despair. It pressed down on everyone like a leaden weight. The medicines were the worst. She felt they had given up entirely and were just looking for an excuse to die. But the rest were nearly as despondent. It was in their faces, the slack muscles, the complete lack of expression... These were medicines and military men, after all, who were expected to repress at least any external signs of their emotions. It was in their body language. How they slumped in their seats, or lay on the floor, staring blankly at the ceiling. Some were in shock, but others had clearly descended into the stage of completely giving up all hope. And when she considered what they had just lost... She stared into the abyss and considered plunging into it herself. After all, what did they have left? Without Metis, without medicine backing? How could they ever beat back this entirely new wave of Thulians? They didn't know where this lot had come from. They were all back to square one, but this time their forces had been almost obliterated. Had the Thulians just been toying with them all this time? Where had the new force come from? Their best commander was gone. That might be the real death blow. How could they hope to do anything without Arthur Chang? What did that leave them with? Herself? She felt torn between despair and sheer panic at the mere idea. She remembered what Sarah had described. The world dying in fire. "'going down under the boots of the enemy "'to end in death and enslavement. "'And now, despite everything they had done, "'despite throwing everything they had at the enemy, "'they were still going down. "'Like hell we are.' "'She had no idea where it came from, "'that little spark of defiance, "'like hope in Pandora's box.' But suddenly it flared up, then caught fire and burned with a growing anger. Vicks, she said out loud. Trina, give me wide open freaks. Full broadcast, unscrambled, to everyone you can reach. I don't care if the fucking Kriegers can hear me. Hell, I want them to hear me. You got it, boss, Vicky replied immediately as Trina gave her a startled look but made some motions on her control board that Bella assumed gave her broadcast ability. "'Listen up, people,' she said, her voice harsh with mixed emotions. "'This is Echo CEO, Belladonna Blue.'" Gardner gave her a startled look but didn't make any moves or say anything to make her think he disagreed with her going full broadcast. I won't sugarcoat this. We just got our asses handed to us. And you know what? We deserved that. Now heads were coming up all over the saucer, staring at her in varying degrees of shock. We deserved that, because we have been fighting these rat bastards for over a year, and if there is one thing we should have learned by now, it's that you never ever become complacent and never ever let your guard down. And what did we do? We got smug. We got complacent. We didn't listen to the couple of people warning us, and we let our guard down. All Of us. We fucked up. Her voice hardened. But we are, by God, not going to fuck up again. She turned to Natalia. Are we, Commissar Red Savior? Nat's head snapped around and the Commissar stared at her blankly for a moment. Slowly, her face changed. The lines on her face disappeared, and the corners of her mouth turned up in a wolfish snarl. Niet, Sestra. These knuckle-turny running dogs are thinking that we are beaten now. That we are weak, contemptible. We have been. But no more. They will bleed for this, and it is Us who will be making them bleed. Those looks of shock were swiftly turning to something else. Hope, maybe? Certainly those around her had lost that despair, and she could feel the grief turning to anger. I know you're listening out there. You murdering bastards, she growled. So you listen to this. We're Homo sapiens. One. Race: One species. You've had it lucky up until now, because up until now, you've been fighting us piecemeal. Now you're going to face us as a united force. Now we know what you are and how you act. Now we know never to let our guard down. "Keep it up, bells," Vicky exclaimed. You're on rebroadcast everywhere, and... Instead of Vicky telling her, several views popped up in her HUD. Echo HQ and the metas gathered there were cheering. Crowds elsewhere, this pumping, more cheering. You are dead. You just don't know it yet. And we are going to find you. And we are going to dig you out of whatever hole you popped out of. And we are going to tear you apart before we stuff you back into it. Her hands were clenched with anger, her face tight with it. And the Canadian general lying on the floor beside her was pounding the floor next to him with his uninjured hand, mouthing the word yes over and over. We are on fire with rage. And we never give up. We're not norms and metas and medicines anymore. We're humanity. And you have officially pissed us off. Gardner was nodding encouragement at her as the rest of the people in the saucer responded in their own way. Even the medicines, who were showing the first signs of real fired-up emotion she had ever seen in them. You'd better start feeling fear, you bastards, because you cannot imagine what we can do when we're united. And we are not going to stop gunning for you until either the last of us or the last of you lies broken and bleeding on the ground. Our ground. Our world. And if you've got a way off it, now might be the time to take it, because otherwise you are all going to end up with our boots in your teeth and our knives twisting in your guts. She glanced at the view screens again. You could barely see the spot in the Andes where Metis had been. And as for Metis, where you think you just got a big win? Her lips lifted in a snarl. You'd better think again and think about running while you still have the chance. Because we're coming back. Count on it. We're coming. And we're coming for you. She signaled wrap up with one finger in her visual field so Vicki would break off the broadcast. Broadcast off, Bells, Vicki confirmed. She continued to stare at the viewscreen. As the others around her rallied, and those that were able, began the scraps of plans, strategy, options. Calls were made to heads of state, the greatest military minds around the globe, to strategic reserves that had been preparing for a fight since the weeks after the invasion. Trina and Vicky were kept busy opening comm links and fielding calls. She'd weigh in when they actually had something. For now, for now, she'd do what she did best. Because the Kriegers did not know humanity. And she did. Damn right, she whispered, clenching her jaw. We're coming, and you will wish you had never been spawned. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International license. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.